Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Thanks for downloading this week's podcast. Uh, this week I'm joined by director of the High Pay Centre, Luke Hilliard, and founder of Westminster Digital, Craig Dillon. We discuss the coronavirus, of course. We also speak to Colonel Bob Stewart, uh, MP for Beckenham. I ask him his views on Priti Patel and, of course, the coronavirus. We talk about Rishi Shunak and the budget. We're also joined on the line by Dr Tony O'Sullivan, co-chair of Keep Our NHS Public, and he makes a very valid point of the tens of thousands of employees who are on zero-hours contracts. Are they also going to may have to make the choice of health versus wealth in terms of the coronavirus? And I'm joined at the final hour of the show by Greg Beaumont. He's the Director of External Affairs and Advocacy for the Federation of Small Business. And we talk about the coronavirus, how it affects small business, the budget and how it affects small business, and, of course, a little bit of Brexit. Enjoy the show. It's becoming quite clear that for this government to uh, deliver on its promises, so the levelling up, the spending money up north, HS2, all the spending commitments that uh, this government has already made, that the fiscal rules, uh, the ones that Sajid Javid was very, very keen to uphold, may need to be thrown out the window. If so... Is the Conservative Party, the, the days of the Conservative Party being thought of as the, the serious party, this quite conservative, fiscally responsible party, going to be out the window? Well, I hope not. I mean, I, I have to say what you suggest is, is the dichotomy, isn't it? Um, on the one hand, you've got a situation where we've got to support the north of England and, and areas in Wales and in Scotland um, much better. Because have you travelled up in the north? I mean, the trains are sort of something from the 70s. We've got to do something about that. At the same time, we've got to keep our eye on, on the balance sheets because our country cannot continue to be in deficit forever. But then how will you manage to do that if, if, if you've set yourself those fiscal rules, you've got the coronavirus as well, you're going to have to really push out the boats and, and borrow. And, and from what we've been seeing... Um, in the last, uh, well, almost the last decade, that the, the 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 government debt has risen quite high under the Conservative governments. Well, yes, I mean it's it's the there's the overall debt and the an, annual deficit. The trouble is the overall debt just keeps going up because actually we can't service it, so you get interest on it every year. Uh, but the the fact of the matter is our annual spend has been coming down. But it's still not balanced. We're still something like 30 billion away from, you know, balancing the debt. So we, we've got a real problem. And what you highlight is the real problem that faces the Chancellor. How can he find money to put into the north of England and other projects that will benefit the north? I use the north of England, meaning not just England, but Wales, Scotland as well. Um, 
end all round. Um, but at the same time, be fiscally responsible. Personally, I think it's a very, very difficult task. I don't know quite how you do it. Obviously, you're going to squeeze other budgets. Um, and obviously, well, borrowing. Would you be um, Would you be well, happy to I see mean, more and more borrowing? Yeah, <laughs> that is something I'm not very keen on. I have to say, and neither is anyone. Raising taxes in that case. Mm. Well, all these things, I'm afraid, may well have to be revisited. Does the public, in your view, care whether the money is borrowed, whether the government is going deeper into debt? Um, as long as the money is spent. And as you yeah. said earlier, you know, those commitments of levelling up, spending mm-hmm. that money up up in the north, um, are the people who, who might stand to benefit from this money mm-hmm. going to go, well, hang on a minute, where did you get this money from? No, did, you get, did you get it from borrowing? <laughs> That's it. And I think what we're probably going to see is a, a quite a large amount of borrowing happening. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, I think they're going to announce a lot of projects because it is about that. You know, they're trying to do this, un- unleash the potential stuff. They're going to... Hopefully, and, and Boris is famous for um, liking a, a visual product, you know, whether it's the... A bridge. Uh, yeah, a bridge mm-hmm. or an airport in the river and all of yeah. these things because they're, they're good, that people like that sort of stuff. People like to see that they're actually you know, building things that start doing stuff. So, um, But I think, yeah, you're right. The people don't really care that much. Um, what they care about is that it's not going to be tax rises. And I, I don't think... Um, and I think the only tax rises they will do are any that can be justified for an environmental side of things. So, so fuel duty might the be fuel, one of them. And if they do, I hope at the same time they do sort of incentives to help people move to electric cars and things mm-hmm. like that, you know. So um, because if, if they're going to be sort of making it harder for people or more expensive people to use cars and things like that, they should be incentivizing and, and moving towards this new economy of, you know, high tech and modern mm-hmm. and embracing the new world. So, this is something that we spoke on the break, and it's something that sort of dawned on me, um, uh, you know, when the announcement uh, came uh, from the, uh, the highest civil servant in um, the Home Office saying, well, I was offered uh, a settlement, which I refused because I want to have my day, my day in court. Um, and I just realised that, hang on a minute, these, these settlements... What do we make of them? The idea that civil servants who have issues with their ministers um, are then told, well, here's a bunch of money. Don't talk about it in the public. It's almost like an NDA, really. Here's a bunch of money. You sign something. You go away with a couple of hundred thousand or tens of thousands, depending on your seriority. What's your view on that? Because I find that completely unethical. First of all, it's taxpayers' money. So you have a minister that misbehaves or has a disagreement with with a civil servant. And the way the government, and I'm not saying it's a conservative government, it could be a Labour government, a coalition, this isn't a partisan issue. But I think the practice of the government being able to say to any civil servant who feels that they've been mistreated, here's a bunch of cash, keep stum. By the way, that cash is our cash. It's taxpayers' money cash. I just think that's got to stop. Yeah, I mean, com- completely. And I mean, that, as we were saying on the break, it doesn't just happen uh, in government or in the public sector. Businesses um, will often uh, pay off an employee who's been mm. treated badly uh, in order to, to to buy their silence. And um, yeah, as you say, it's completely egregious. And it kind of reflects inequality uh, across the economy as a whole, where people who've got money... Uh, are able to behave differently to uh, to those who um, who don't because you know they they there are certain ways you know best lawyers best accountants mm. 
um, they're able to sort of buy their way out of trouble in a way that other people, uh, and you know, and they're not subject to the same rules as uh, as the man or woman in because, the street. Because this current administration is facing two days in court, perhaps uh, one uh, around Sonia Khan, who was dismissed by Dominic Cummings in a rather. Uh, one might say, unacceptable and aggressive way. She had her phone taken from her and marched out of uh, Downing Street um, by a, a police officer when she was Sajid Javid's uh, special advisor. Uh, she has taken uh, Mr Cummings and Boris Johnson because ultimately, at the time before there was a slight rule change, Boris Johnson, the, as Prime Minister, was responsible for the hiring and firing of special advisers, even though that sacking happened by Dominic Cummings. I think he sort of overstepped his jurisdiction, perhaps with the Prime Minister's blessing. But they then changed the rules so that Dominic Cummings could hire and fire directly himself. But she wants to have her day in court... Um, then we have the top civil service in the Home Office wanting to have his day in court. Would How would it play, Craig, if all of a sudden though, both those people, Sir Philip Rutnam and Sonia Khan, all of a sudden drop their charges because they had a big fat paycheck <laughs> and uh, be told, right, do you want to just drop that? Well, I think the government will be happy. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I bet they would. Um, but no, I, I agree. I don't think it's um, a right thing to just be able to just pay people off. You know, it'd be much easier if um, you could just work well with people. Why does the government say self-isolate for 14 days if you may have it, etc.? Yet if they get one case in Parliament, it gets shut down for three months. <laughs> Good point, Paul. Yeah, that's a uh, speaker... <laughs> Uh, has said that if there's one case, they're looking to shut down Parliament for three months. Um, he also continues to say, also good to see that he put the they put through the wage rise to eighty thousand for MPs, whilst the yeah. news is full of outbreak reports. <laughs> Maybe hope that uh, no one notices. Uh, well spotted there, uh, Father Paul. Thank you for your tweet. I mean, you've got to say that from a PR point of view, this is you know. Times like this with the virus outbreak is, is just the best time to release. No, I mean, I, I'm kind of torn on this one because um, I would much rather that we had um, more, not that the MPs currently aren't very highly skilled, but I would like uh, people who are very, very, uh, you know, top level jobs moving um, to be MPs. And, and mm. the, the problem we have now is, especially with the current intake, especially those ones who came from very high powered jobs, they've taken a huge pay cut to yeah. go and become an MP. And actually what we do want is we want the people who are, you know, at the top of Barclays Bank or whatever, being the ones who are being MPs to work in the Treasury and all of those things. So um, I think that MPs um, should be either paid a bit more or paid on some sort of, you know, scale of their um, experience or something like that. Next week, we've, we're seeing the budget. Uh, Rishi Shunak is, is going to be uh, unveiling uh, for all to see uh, how much money is going to be spent where. Would you be pleased if, if this administration, the Boris Johnson administration, uh, gives a big handout to the NHS, which with the coronavirus now uh, making its presence felt in the UK, is very likely to see a big investment in the NHS? Would that go uh, a long way into repairing some of the problems that we're having? Yes, I think it would. But I think the statements from the government really must be scrutinised because they're already saying they're giving uh, the highest amount of money to the NHS ever. Which in real terms, that's not true. In, in real terms, it's just not true. And really for five years, um, 
you've heard of crumbling hospitals. For, for five years, the, uh, the, the NHS had, has had to use money that should have been restoring the fabric, whether it's scanners or, or roofs, uh, and uh, has had to use it to, to offset the debt that they're incurring, not because they're profligate in their spending, but because the government hasn't funded enough. And, and the, the NHS as a whole is over £11 billion technically in debt. So uh, the, the, the Chancellor, in my view, has to be honest about real terms funding, has to say, don't worry about debt, we should write off that debt, we should fund the NHS properly, and we will underwrite the costs of managing coronavirus um, w without going through some difficult mechanism to prove that you've needed it. Do you think yeah. that the public are aware of the differences between the candidates? You've got Lisa Nandy, Keir Starmer, Rebecca Long-Bailey. Do you think your average, even your Labour voter, knows the difference between no. all three of them? and they won't. They'll, they'll have sort of... Most people would have said, I don't really understand it, so I'll just wait and see who, mm. who gets it, and then I'll start to, you know, learn. And, and what will happen, it always happens, is when they're announced that it's probably Keir Starmer, for Google results on that day, the top thing will be, who is Sir Keir Starmer? They won't say Sir, but who is Keir Starmer? That will be, everyone will be searching that, and that's mm. when people will start to, because that's when they, you know, what's the point of learning about some candidate that's not going to win? So people are very busy. People have a lot more better things going on. Um, so I think that they'll wait uh, and see. But, um, yeah, it's it's... It's putting Labour in a tough position because they, they're struggling quite a lot after their um, recent problems. Uh, let's, let's start with the, the Federation of Small Business. What is it that you do there? Uh, so I'm a member of the staff team, but we have uh, 165,000 members, uh, 165,000 members, all of whom are small business owners. So while other business organisations are a corporate membership where the company is the member, we're not. We're about the human being right at the top of every single business. And that person often has very little support uh, about how to help run their business. So that's the function we provide. So we provide a lot of services, but we also provide that voice to government. And uh, what we do find, especially when something about coronavirus comes along, is that we have all these people, all of whom, a bit like a trade union, all of whom kind of own us and really feel part of us, and they tell us something is happening on the ground. And we mm. can then go to government and say, ah, oh, we have spotted this problem, and here's our proposed solution to it. And have you been consulted recently about the effects of coronavirus? Yes. From the government? Yes. The government? So we're, we're having daily conversations. Uh, we made very strong representations about making coronavirus a notifiable disease. I don't know, know about this. This is quite important, because if you're... If you have a business interruption policy, an insurance policy on your business, it only will work if it is a notifiable disease. And up until Thursday, I think it was Thursday at 6.15pm, mm -hmm. government hadn't yet made it a notifiable disease, which meant that all insurance policies didn't work. So it's things like that where wow. you spot okay, something. that's a huge yeah, thing. You spot something and you go into government and say, put your hand up, we know you, you trust us, uh, this is an issue, please help us, and they did. And how is the news uh, uh, the, uh, from Italy going to affect mm. certain small businesses? Because the whole, I mean, it's one of the most prosperous um, areas of, of Italy, northern Italy, yeah. they're sort of the workhorse, if you like. Uh, lots of car factories based up there, lots of factories based up there. Um, one of the wealthiest areas of, of Italy being effectively quarantined as we've heard last night with the press conference at 2am. Yeah. Um, well, that actually moves into the second phase, which is we started to see 
vis- um, uh, events being postponed or stopped altogether. So a big event in Geneva was stopped, for example, we know in Italy, um, an event in Munich, an event in Nuremberg. So lots of exhibitions that small businesses were going to to get clients and trade fairs were all basically cancelled and almost at no notice. Some of them were very, very close. So Some of them, people were actually turning up to the event to find out it was cancelled. So you start to see difference in freedom of movement at that point, um, people not being able to move around. So the third phase uh, is about people in your business. So that could be your customers not coming to you. It could be your staff worrying about coming in. Um, you've got, we've got a handful of cases. Um, we had a handful of cases after an event called the UK Bus Summit here in the QE2 Centre. Oh, yes, of course. That was yeah. the start uh, where 250 people left that event and were told, you've been in contact, you should be careful. Um, it didn't give tough um, medical advice at that time, but there's going to be a lot more of that coming. So if you start as a small business losing one person, perhaps, of your team of 10, maybe two people, you can't, like a big business, you can't reallocate people. Thanks for downloading the show. You remember, you can listen to Talk Politics live every Sunday at 10am.